As we've discussed in more than a few tech on demand videos and podcasts, the key to successfully producing high quality crops often starts at the very beginning. And that is especially true with the crop we're discussing today. And how you and your team approach the earliest stages of germination and propagation sets the stage for uniformity down the line. I'm very happy to welcome back frequent guest, Dr. Will Healy. Will recently retired as senior manager of Ball's Technical Services Group, but he continues to think about ways to share his knowledge and decades of experience working with growers around the world. This time, he's here to focus on seed-raised begonias. Will, we have talked about a lot of different crops over the years, but not begonias. And I'm really not sure why, but now is the time to turn the spotlight on begonias. And why do you feel that begonias are worthy of a crop-specific discussion? Well, Bill, I would say that of all the crops that I've dealt with, um, begonias have got to be one of the most mysterious and perplexing crops I've ever had. Um, you know, for 30 years, I've been working with um, young plant suppliers, trying to figure out how did you do that, um, where you have one tray that is absolutely uniform, and right next to it, you've got this tray that's totally all over the place. Everything from no shows, where there's absolutely no seedling, to plants that are all ready to transplant. We've done research on um, growing them in chambers, and suddenly we take what had historically been like an eight-week crop, and after 21 days, we're ready to ship it. Um, it's been kind of the great mystery crop of all times. Um, I even had a graduate student, you know, 30 years ago who did a study where they looked at um, the effects of uh, temperature, and it was like amazing the difference that um, temperature made. But how do you end up with, as we see in this in our um, introduction, how do you end up with one seedling that is like going gangbusters and the other? So what I want to share with you now is, you know, how do you, how did people do this? Because we've spent a lot of time trying to figure out how do you do that? How do you make uniform and non-uniform crops in the same tray? Well, that makes sense. And, and when we were chatting about this, uh, you said this is a crop that separates the men from the boys. And I love that analogy, but it's also a crop that if you can get, you can get it right in the first two weeks, then you're probably kind of set up for success. So I, I do like bedding begonias. There's a, there are a lot of bang for your buck in big garden beds and in landscapes, and we see a lot of them. I also really like tuberous begonias and boliviensis, and we've seen so many new interspecifics come to market. So why don't we make sure that, that we touch on those as well? Uh, throughout the presentation or maybe toward the end if you want to give some tips on those. But enough out of me. Why don't you go ahead and get started? And if I have questions, I'll go ahead and jump in and ask them. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, because, you know, at the end of the day, Bill, they're begonias. Now, there's some little nuances depending upon, you know, there's Semper Florens or their Tuber Hybrida or if they're interspecifics, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, there are some um, basic rules that you have to follow. And so that's what we're really going to focus on today. So let's start back at, um, if you listen to any of the other ones, we always know about how do we really focus this discussion. It's all about germination. How do we get the most uniform germination possible? So... Of course, germination process begins when you absorb water. So once you drop that seed and you put water on it, you have made a commitment to be successful or fail. 
very important to keep that in mind, especially with begonias, as you'll see. And that basically the germination process ends with the hypocotyl or with the stem. And in this case, this is going to be an important part of why people fail is because of that stem. Because think of a begonias as an unrooted cutting. Begonias are really weird. It didn't take, it didn't happen until many years after we've been trying to figure out how they do that. When we went and we pulled some seedlings, the cotyledons had unfolded, we pulled them out, we put them under a microscope, and lo and behold, they look like unrooted cuttings. There was no root. It's just basically, it's the hypocotyl, which is that little stem that's underneath the cotyledons, and it's no roots. Now there's um, root initials, but this became a really critical key to success, is understanding that this is not a petunia after all. Begonias are different. And they because of this um, no root at the time the hypocotyl extends, um, that becomes a key to success or failure. So let's we're going to really talk about that. So the um, getting that hypocotyl to elongate is really the technically the technical end of germination. But in the case of begonias, there's a lot more to it because you know you can basically get the cotyledons to unfold in like five, six, maybe seven days, depending upon temperature. And we'll talk about that. Um, but what happens is that it's the next five to seven days as the roots development that basically gives you uniform or ununiform crops. And this is where people start to fail. Once you got a uniform crop, you're good to go. So let's talk about synchronizing. We're trying to synchronize cotyledon unfolding. And this was um, doesn't really have to do with germination, but it has to do with mechanical parts of what we're doing. And we're going to talk a little bit about how you mechanically screw up begonia um, germination so that they go, become asynchronous and they don't all germinate because there really is not a bad begonia. You know, begonias have probably the highest germination of any product that we um, produce in the seedlings um, business. It has a 95, 99% germination. Um, so it has a very high germination rate for simperflorens, um, but yet there's no shows. And, there, and if you don't have a seedling that shows up, well, obviously you're not going to have it. If it's just showed up late, it's basically going to um, flower late. It's going to develop late. And, you know, if you take a look at all these trays in front of us today, we've tried everything under the sun to make this more uniform, but it, nothing works like getting it right from the very beginning at the time that you are sowing. So we're going to really talk about that. Something that we really haven't talked about too much about germination in, the, in some of our other presentations is that temperature is really critical because um, when we take a look at begonias, we have to remember that they're warm-blooded. Begonias, pentas, vinca, canna, these are all warm-blooded products. What do I mean? Well, they're... They're native to, they originated in tropical moist climates of South America, most of the begonias. So they're not, they're not used to the cold temperatures of the north where we're producing them. And in fact, what usually happens is that we produce them very early in the winter, December, January, regardless of where you are. And that temperature is cold. Bill, have you ever experienced cold water coming out of your tap? I, I have, and I can't imagine as a very uh, tender seedling uh, really enjoying that cold weather. 
Right. And so what happens is you put that cold, that 50 degree or even colder water onto that tray and it drops the temperature for multiple days. Another problem that we have is that even if you have warm water, the long nights with that water evaporating, because remember you're putting heat in that greenhouse and that heat is causing um, the humidity to um, <clears throat> to basically causing evaporation from the tray and evaporation cools it, it's not uncommon for you to see the soil temperature anywhere between 5, 10 degrees cooler than the air temperature that you think you have. And this is a really key part of it. So as soon as that soil temperature where the seed is starts dropping down below 70 degrees, you're in trouble. And that's probably what slows the process down. And those that are growing vigorously, they just you know get that first two leaf and they're off and running. They don't care what temperature it is. But the, up to that point where you have that first two leaf, it's really critical that you don't cool that soil down. And we can have a good example of that. This is an example where the air, air and soil temperature were 70 degrees. And of course, you, um, of course, throughout the course of the night, the temperature in and around that seed dropped to um, probably about 65. Now, what does that really make a difference? I mean, those look okay, but look at what happens when we look at what happens if we use tempered water, where we're basically putting warm water on them. So we're not throwing 50 degree water, but we basically have water that's about 68 to 70 degree Fahrenheit. Um, notice how much better and faster those seedlings develop. These are very warm blooded products that really don't like to be cold. They don't like to be chilled, kind of like people. Now, a word of caution. Some people say a little warm water is good. A lot must be better, right, Bill? Nope, not in this case. Oh, no. What we see is that when you start getting water temperatures above 80 degrees Fahrenheit, you start have potential for causing tip abortion and other problems. We, um, of course, learn that the hard way by basically having, um, you know, 90, 100 degree water coming through the system and basically scorching plants and um, almost killing them. So, you know, a little bit is good, Bill. A lot is nothing but trouble. So, but tempered water is really critical for begonias. It doesn't hurt on other crops either, but begonias are really sensitive to this. So be, make sure that you've got tempered water to keep the plants growing. And that's why when you grow them in chambers, you don't end up with the drop in temperature and you basically have this lit chamber that stays at a constant temperature through the entire growing cycle that they actually reduce the crop time almost in half. Oh, wow. Shocking, but it's a way that if you've got really long crop times, temper your water fairly inexpensive, especially compared to chambers, and you'll see magic happen. So let's talk about the germination process because it, there's a step in here that's really critical. Remember that you need to melt the pellet or dissolve the um, and get it to melt. You need to get that seed coat to absorb water and the water moves into the inner membrane. Now, the thing you have to remember about begonias, it's probably the smallest seed that we use in the entire bedding plant industry. It, to say that it's dust is really um, an insult to dust because a lot of dust is bigger. It is really, really small. That's why it's pelleted, Bill, so that it's pelleted so that you can easily handle it. To try to sow raw um, begonias is almost impossible. So um, we, but it's, so you need to make sure that you get that water on and you don't bury that seed with too much water. Um, now, the next step is this whole issue of light. Light, as I mentioned earlier, is really important to get uniformity. 
It's not that it's doesn't germinate in the dark, but it does require light. So making sure they don't get buried, make sure that you've got uniform light, very, very critical as we'll see in a minute. Remember that once the starch breaks down, the machinery starts getting activated, cells start to multiply, elongation begins, um, and then that all requires oxygen. So we need to make sure that we go through wet and dry cycles to force oxygen back in so that you don't end up with the seed just basically sitting in water, or worse, where you put on so much water that you start getting algae, which basically prevents the oxygen from getting in there. Once that seed coat cracks, Basically, the hypocotyl emerges, and as we mentioned before, it's like an unrooted cutting. The cotyledons unfold, but there is no root. And so we can't stress enough to think of the begonia seedling as an unrooted cutting. If you come away with nothing else in this entire conversation today, make sure that you think of begonias differently than any other crop. In fact, I would encourage you to go take some seedlings where the cotyledons have unfolded, pull them out, and take and put them under a 10, 15x um, scope or a magnifying glass and look at them and see, yeah, he's right. They aren't any. And how do you know that you've got a root forming? Well, this is really kind of an interesting thing is that as soon as you start seeing that first true leaf push out, most likely there's a root going down. Now, that doesn't mean that you can just ignore it at that point, because as that cotyledon, as that true leaf comes out and that root goes down, it's a very, very fine root. And what happens, and this is where the ununiformity starts showing up, is that they basically, you dry out that soil. And as we all know from um, rooting cuttings, is if you dry out the soil, what happens, Bill? Well, you're not going to grow a root. Right. The roots, and actually you can see that root, if you put it under that magnifying glass, you can actually watch it shrivel up and die. That's how we knew we've got to watch out for that top, you know, probably eighth of an inch, quarter of an inch of soil that we manage that moisture very critically. But let's first talk about light because it's so important. You know, we, we saw this picture earlier and, you know, once the seed is hydrated, and this is really kind of weird because once you, once you throw that water on it, light is important. If you remember back a couple slides where you said light is right there up there, right with hydration, it's really important. Um, we learned this, of course, the hard way. Um, and you don't have to have high intensity lighting. You don't have to have LEDs. You just have to have presence of light. That's why a lot of people germinate on the bench versus in a chamber. Even a chamber, you can hold temperature better, but unless you've got uniform light in there, well, this is what you've got. In fact, in the chamber, you can't have any dark areas. If we take a look at this, we, we, we're always mystified by this, where you end up with, same, this is all the same variety, lay down at the same time, and you'd come by and you see, why do you have this one tray that is absolutely beautiful? Well, we've come to find out that the grower had a small light in their chamber that they used so that they could go in and see how things are developing. And so what we saw is that the top shelf is, you know, because it had the presence of light during that early stage of germination, uniform often going. The edge of the shelf, down one where there's still some light, notice that you do have some um, <clears throat> you have the benefit of the light. And then, of course, the bottom shelf, um, they're not bad seedlings. In fact, they're very uniform. Notice they're pretty uniform in that tray, um, but they're very much delayed. 
<clears throat> so it's very important to have light. Now, how many hours? Um, as you'll learn later on, 14, 16 hours or even night interruption is what's critical. But light, you've got to have light to get uniform, speedy germination. And to test this out, we actually did a small trial where we basically had um, trays where we had light on the edge versus dark. Um, and then we had the bottom shelf and you can see it very clearly. So um, this really cemented in my mind, light is important. So let's talk about the soil moisture at flat filling. This is kind of one of the, the sleepers that was very hard to sort out, making sure that you've got the right moisture levels um, and uniform. Now, one of the problems, make sure that when you're using um, a, uh, a mixer, that you're using some kind of a nozzle, whether it's a fog nozzle or some kind of a nozzle to uniformly spray the water versus just a stream in there where you have really wet spots surrounded by very dry pockets, because that then gives you the performance that we're seeing in this particular image, where you have very ununiform, it's because they didn't have uniform moisture. Now, sometimes it's very obvious where you have cells that are dried out, but other times that you have soil on the bottom that's not uniform and it's kind of hidden by the um, by water being applied to the top. So where did we find the biggest problem, the biggest culprit, the biggest reason why we ended up with these dry pockets? Well. It has to do with the fact that begonias normally have a very long crop time, and so people sow them first thing in the week. And of course, the first thing they do is they turn on their machines, which have a lot of dry soil in them. We've talked about this in the past, where <clears throat> the, the flat filler should be the single cleanest piece of equipment in your entire operation. You should not have any dry soil. And if, when you have a dry soil sitting on the edges, that falls in and that creates dry pockets. These dry pockets then become ununiform moisture, which will remember the very first stage, uniform moisture is critical for germination. And then if you have dried underneath, then basically you nip the roots so they don't develop. Let's talk about centering and, um, and light because centering the cell, the seed in the middle of the cell is very important. Notice that all of these um, pellets are basically off center. Notice they're not dead center. And this is really important with begonias because you wanna have that begonia right in the middle so it's easier to manage. Here we've got an example of where the dibbler was basically not matched to the tray. And so what happens is the dibbler scoops the soil out which then when you um, go and put the water on it, you have a tendency to bury that seed. And that, of course, and of course, we can see that if you look very carefully, you can see how that there's a little bit of a um, ledge in that tray. So it's very important when we're starting to look at, um, are we burying that seed or not? That we basically look to see, do we have the drum, the dibbler, and the tray is a match set. You don't go and have a, um, you change the tray because that's going to change the, where the dibble is. So look really carefully. Make sure that that dibbler is actually putting a nice dibble in the middle of that tray um, and that you're dropping that seed with the cedar in the middle. So you don't end up with the challenge of, um, of bearing the seed. Um, and this is one of those just really subtle little pieces that we find that, um, gives you this weird pattern. In fact, you can actually see patterns in the tray where the um, seed has been buried. Let's talk about the water tunnel because this is truly where the magic begins. Um, 
you can't have too much. Some people say, well, we're going to put on a lot of water, make sure we're adequately wet. Well, one of the problems that you run into with a water tunnel is that you can very easily bury the seed. As you can see here, this particular water tunnel had um, a lot of water in certain areas. And basically, there's not bad seed there. They're just buried. And so until you actually wash the soil off that pellet so that it gets light, it, of course, doesn't germinate. So this is where having that seed exposed to the light, not buried, is really important so that you end up with a um, uniform germination. Notice that we really focus on nozzle number one is basically to enough water to glue that seed down. And then the remaining nozzles are used to get the right amount of moisture so that you are actually putting on your target moistures. And with begonias, I would definitely make sure that you end up with the right moisture before you sow. So weigh trays that have been filled so that you know that you've got enough soil, you've got enough moisture in that tray, and that it's ready to go so that then when it goes through the water tunnel, that it will have the right amount of moisture coming out of the tunnel and that you're recording this. Because this is um, one of the problems that you see is that 20, 30 days after you sow them, you now see problems on uniformity and all kinds of issues. And you can't go like, well, what happened? Well, with most crops, there's short enough crop time that you can kind of trace back. But with begonias, what we found until we started recording the moisture levels at the time of sowing, did we finally realize, huh, that is a problem. And we fixed the moisture level at the time of sowing and suddenly we end up with uniform trace. So you need that data to basically go back and check why did that happen? Keeping good records is critical. Now, you don't have to weigh every tray. You know, every 5, 10, 15 trays is more than enough to know that, whoops, we're kind of wandering away. It also helps your crew understand this is important. If they record it, it is perceived as important. So you need to make sure that they're recording it and they just don't always record the same number because then they're mm -hmm. just, they're, I, I know, Bill, you never dry labbed a science project. But never. No, never. never. Or never. But, you know, some people just get frustrated and just always write 1400. Mm -hmm. That is physically impossible. So make sure that the numbers vary, um, but not too much. Is there a, spe is this specific, I mean, not burying the seed and sort of the, the danger of doing that, is that more so because the seed pellet is so small or is that, um, is that just because, I mean, is part of it just because begonias need a little bit more care early on? Or is, it, is there an extra danger with, with tiny seed? Like well, begonias? no, I think, Bill, you, you've, got, you've got the right, um, it starts out with the seed is really tiny. Mm -hmm. The soil is really big. So it's really hard, it's really easy to hide a seed underneath a um, chunk of peat. Okay. So, and then that basically puts it in the dark which of course we understand. Um, and then it, um, and that's where the death spiral starts, okay. lack of uniformity. So you can say, is it the lack of light? Well, light comes into play if you, if the seed is exposed, but if it's not exposed then until you sees light, it's not going to germinate very well. Right. And if you put too much water, um, then you can bury the seed, and push that seed down because it is so small. And remember, there's so many, if you look at a, a chunk of peat, you know, in the tray, there's all kinds of little cracks and crevices that have mm -hmm. 
begonia seed could just fall into and disappear. That's okay. the problem. So that's right. why it's really important that you, you monitor your pellet um, melting. Um, and that's where, you know, you don't dry them out. I can't tell you how many times people don't put the right amount of moisture. They put the right amount of moisture. So they got 1,400 grams coming off the end of that um, water tunnel. Okay. They pick the tray up and they put it on a, on a rack. And then what happens at midday, Bill? Go to lunch and all those racks sit in the head house. And how, and how low is the relative humidity? Oh, there is none. Yeah, it's pretty dry in there. And they basically dry out those pellets. So they end up looking like the, the ones in the picture where they're basically rock hard. And let me assure you that once you've dried out a pellet, trying to get that pellet to dissolve is darn near impossible. Because basically what happens is when they build the pellet, they put a binder on the outside. Mm-hmm to hold it so that it can survive handling. Well, when you add a little bit of water, it kind of drives that that binder into the pellet so that it becomes a ball bearing. And you can literally, you know, these pellets that we see that have been hardened, you can roll them around your finger, they don't break down. And that tells you that you let the moisture level drop down. So the best management practice, the um, BMPs is to sow and not leave it sitting around for any length of time. So when they go on break, there should be no uh, begonia trays or any pelleted seed trays sitting out there. If you have to um, keep them on a rack for a period of time, then you may want to put a little extra moisture. You may want to go to 1450 instead of 1400, just so that it has a little bit of moisture to dry out if necessary in transit. If you have... um, you know, dry, you know, there's going to be dry, then adjust the moisture. And that's where people need to play with the moisture target levels. You know, these were just suggestions, merely recommendations um, that people use, but everyone needs to kind of develop their own. This is what we want our target for our operational. And it's really important on begonias, petunias also, but begonias are really sensitive to this. And of course, one of the big mistakes people make is that they basically say, okay, well, you need to keep it moist, you know, and initially that's important. You know, the first four or five days, you need to make sure you keep it moist so you can get the um, pellet melted and you can basically get the seed to hydrate and then to get the um, hypocotyl. But then if you keep it too wet, so you're pounding it with water, then you start running algae and crust. And this is because you've kept it constant level four plus. So you need to oscillate between four and three. Wet's four, dry it back to three. Um, And that's really important so that you don't get that crust formation. And of course, we talk about how you can grow crust and algae um, in a different podcast, which I'm sure that Bill, you'll have it in the tip on in the notes. I will. I'll put it, I'll put it in the show notes and uh, attempt to to drop a link uh, down here at the bottom of the video. Good. And then the melting, the pellet um, is really important because, you know, this is where we talked about, um, this is a perfect example of some um, dianthus where they sewed it and then they basically went to lunch. And then when they went to lunch, some of the pellets had um, dissolved a little bit, it opened up and others had just turned hard. And those are ball bearings. And as you can see, um, a number of days, like three to four weeks later, you still have pellets there. That tells you you've got to dry out a current somewhere. 
What we'd like to have you do is do the pencil test. That's just taking a pointed pencil and touching that pel um, pellet to see, does it break apart nicely? These are some pellets that after moisture, you know, probably about eight hours later, you can actually see the pellet starting to crumble a bit and opening up to allow it to see light. And of course, at that point, if you were to touch it with a um, pencil, it basically will open up nicely. You wanna make sure that you're keeping it um, moist. So what you can do is keep the floors wet, which keeps the humidity high, because that pellet's sitting out there in the great outdoors of your greenhouse, drying out if you don't, if the humidity gets too low. So really be fo focusing on what's the humidity, not how much water do we put on, but what's the humidity, the vapor pressure deficit in our greenhouse. Those of who you propagate understand vapor pressure deficit, and you may want to um, set up a VPD in your begonia germination area so that you don't end up with a situation where it is um, too dry. Fog is another um, benefit as long as you don't keep it too wet. Notice that these pellets are really nicely um, starting to um, crack apart, but be, be aware of it. Now, ideally, what you want to see is by day three, and you'll start seeing is, is you truly see this um, bowl of oatmeal, or if you were Japanese, tofu, um, and you can actually see the seed. Now, it takes a pretty good eye to do it. This is just a picture of it, and then you basically blow it up, and you can actually see it. That tells you you, you are in good shape. Those are begonias, um, by the way. So you can see how... Um, a begonia could easily fall into a crack and crevice and be hidden. And that's one of the benefits of having that, that pellet powder melting is it creates like a little pedestal for that seed to be exposed to light, to keep it moist. And that pellet powder is wet, so it keeps it um, moist. And that can't be said enough. Now, we've talked a little bit about um, water by weight. And this is a good example where um, they've gone through the different um, cycles where they've used, um, they've set their targets. In this case, they've set for a crop where they have 1,200 to 1,000 for hydration. Then they basically have got um, a little bit drier, not a lot, but just slightly drier. They aren't adding as much water um, to the wet target. Um, they're keeping a little, um, keeping the wet target a little bit um, tighter. And then finally, once the hypocotyl elongation and cotyledon forms they have. Now, this is kind of compressed compared to begonias, but let's see what happens in begonias and how you create ununiformity. This is a good example of an ununiform crop. And, and we went back to the data because, of course, um, when they do water by weight, when they, um, they record the weight of the um, tray, you know, four or five trays, they just to kind of give the growers a sense of how dry are we. And they have their wet target um, up here, and they also have got their dry targets. Um, and this is um, after the, basically the hypocotyl is extended and we're developing roots. Notice that there's several occasions where they drop below the dry target. And that, remember, when you drop below the dry target, what dries out first, Bill, is of course the top. Right. The and where's that begonia seedling? Sitting on top. And so that top eighth of an inch is really critical to prevent the excess dry down. Um, and so what happens is, is that every time that drops down below the um, red line there, you're basically nuking that root so it's dead. And then the seedling has to throw another root. Hmm. Okay. And then you basically, you know, two days later, you nuke the roots again and it starts all over again. So if you wonder why 
On the picture on the left, we've got some seedlings that are just rolling past that first true leaf stage without a problem, and others are just starting to poke the true leaves out. Those were the ones that were nuked several times by just inadvertently drying them out. This is where, when we said that it separates the men from the boys, it's really right here where it's critical in that once that cotyledon unfolds, detail, staying on top of the detail is very important. If people, and time and again, we have growers um, telling us, you know, we've always had good begonias and suddenly we don't. And the first question is, okay, so did you have someone different doing the germination? Well, yeah, he left, we moved him, he did a good job, we made him a manager. <clears throat> and I said, okay, the problem is the person you replace them with. They didn't have that attention to detail at this very critical stage of development. So that's what we want, really want to focus on because think, remember, it basically causes root damage and it delays or stunted. There are no bad begonias. They're just stunted or delayed. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> so when we want to have a nice uniform um, first true leaf come out, as you can see, most of these have uh, either um, a first true leaf or they're basically moving along. What do we need to know? You have to remember that handling is an unrooted cutting is critical. Light immediately after the water tunnel to keep it moving. Keep it warm. Use that tempered water. Avoid burying the seed by pounding them with too much water. Weekends are disastrous to begonias. That's why it's always good to sow them on Monday so that they have a chance to not be um, overwatered on the weekend. That weekend watering where someone goes in and says, well, I'm just going to pour some water on these so they're good for a day or two until we come back. That's where the problem starts showing in. Make sure that you melt the pellet. Don't bury the pellet. Make sure you oscillate between that level three and level four. And then finally, let's put a little fertilizer on these. Um, earlier, as soon as you start seeing the cotyledons unfolding, because um, it's really important to have a little 20, 10, 20, a little ammonia to push those leaves out, get big leaves so that you can start losing water through the leaves, through the cotyledons. With, in the picture, we see um, a plant on the right that that particular plug was not fertilized um, for probably until about day 21, whereas the plant on the left was fertilized <coughs> pretty much at a low rate, 50, 75 parts per million, right from the time that the cotyledons unfolded. As soon as they started moving to um, regular watering cycles, that's when they started putting feed on it. As you can see, you several more leaves, bigger leaves, better root growth, overall better performance. Um, because begonias have such a long crop time, you tend to leach all the soil, all the fertilizer out of that soil. So you don't really don't have a charge. So the plants just basically, they don't starve to death. They just don't grow very well. So does that give us a good start, Bill, on how do we achieve uniform? Because once you got that first true leaf out, you know, Bill, we can make you the grower and you can finish them off. How's that? I don't know. You always say that, Will, and that, that's a really scary thought. Uh, but it does make a lot of sense. And, and the points that you make are, are um, they're, they're the kind of points that you can use to train new growers and to really go over uh, every season with your production team, just so that everybody's on the same page. Exactly. And, and keeping them reminding that even on the weekends, this is important. Because otherwise, the weekends, you're going to screw it up every time. Because that, that was another one of the sleepers. We couldn't figure out, okay, the germination's good. Why are they uneven? 
until we finally one weekend paid attention to what was going on. I was like, oh, well, that explains it. And it was like every other weekend hmm. or every third weekend. And how often do people work on the weekend? Well, every second or third weekend. Right. You're rotating the crew. And so we found out who the guilty person is and we trained them. We didn't take them out to the back fence and shoot them because, you know, we still need them. So right. we don't want to, we don't want to chastise them. We don't want to make them feel bad. We just want to train them to do the job correctly. So this is where it's very important to have that training, have the um, logs of when, at what point did the water, what was the weight at the time of wa the watering decision, both for, and how much did they apply? Not just how dry did it get, but how wet did they make it? Because mm -hmm. both of those um, points are very critical in the success of begonias. No, that's good. Do you want to, do you want to touch on some of the other types of seed raised begonias before we wrap up? Yeah, let's talk about the um, other begonia species because there's basically three big groups that are um, quite prevalent. There's the interspecific. These are the um, begonia, the big, the megawatts, the top hats. They're basically different species to give you this big, bulky, beautiful plant material. Um, they are in, in their heart a Semper Florence. So if you treat them like a Semper Florence, they're going to perform. Now, the germination is not as good as a straight Semper Florence, so you may have to be really sensitive to the light and moisture issue but you know if you get a good seed that's fresh um it's it performs like it the tuber so dragon are, wings and baby wings fit in fit into this yes, category yeah they, okay. they do fit in there also. good point um the tuberous begonias the um are and they're basically they form tubers and how you prevent them from forming tubers is you grow them under long days hmm. and you have to do this from germination. So you can tell whether um, a begonia is going to be a problem because if they form a tuber, they don't flower and branch uniformly. Right. So they're very poor performing. So you really want to get that long days on them and skipping one or two days might not be a problem. But skipping five, six days is going to be a problem. So long days from the time you sold them until the days actually start getting long. Night interruption can be okay. doesn't have to be high-pressure sodium um, or LED lights. Either one of them is good, um, but it do have to have long days. They're also warmer-blooded so that you absolutely can't drop that temperature below 77, especially for germination because germination just gets too slowed down. The boliviensis is kind of the new kid on the block. Um, and these are like the Bossa Nova, the Santa Cruz, Santa Barbara, et cetera, the, that whole series. Um, they also require long days because they will form tubers. Um, and they also have a little bit warmer than Semper Florence conditions. But um, if they will tolerate, you know, you can grow them side by side with Semper Florence, but they probably, if you're growing a number of different begonias, grow the boliviensis with the tuber hybrid of the tuberous begonias um, for okay. better success. So um, that kind of gives us um, the information that we need. Does that kind of wrap up what we need, Bill? I think so. Um, yeah, I mean, you, you've covered quite a bit. Hopefully, uh, folks, the, the viewers and listeners will um, internalize some of this information. And like I said before, share it with your team. Make sure that everybody uh, starts, starts their begonia germination correctly. And then hopefully after a couple of weeks, once uh, once you've got roots and uh, true leaves, you can you can move on and 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 set them out and kind of let them go. And I love that you uh, I love that you always put this slide at the end because it reminds me to remind the viewers and listeners about all of the multimedia resources we have for tech on demand. 
I do a weekly newsletter where I share a lot of information. It tends to be very timely. So I talk about what's happening that week. Um, so if you're listening to this or viewing this in real time, it is freezing cold out. So I'm talking about receiving cuttings when it's cold, when it's cold out and not when it's warm out. So uh, the newsletter tends to be very timely. Uh, we have more than 150 videos on uh, Ball Seeds YouTube channel uh, covering a range of topics from beginner level, new grower information all the way to, you know, most advanced uh, how to how to set your VPD controls up. Uh, podcasts, we have more than 100 podcasts covering, again, a wide range of topics, all cultural and technical related. And the Facebook group, a peer-to-peer community. Uh, you can search that on Facebook by searching Greenhouse Tech Team and uh, answer a couple simple questions and I'll let you write in. It is a closed Facebook group for professionals in our industry only. Will, thank you so much. I appreciate your time and uh, I'm sure we'll be doing this again with some more crops, don't you think? Oh yeah, absolutely. Good, good. And we actually have a few queued up. So uh, when, when, we, when we get around to recording them, we will be sure to share them with all of you. I am Bill Calkins with Tech On Demand reminding you to subscribe to the Ball Seed YouTube channel for all these videos. Subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. We're on all the major apps. And above all else, have a great season and take care out there.